This sermon was recorded online during our season of Shelter in Place in Mountain View, California. Uh, when we talk about Trinity Sunday, we only have time today to really talk about God the Father. But this is the first of three parts. So next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll be talking about his one and only son, who, you know, for us men in our salvation, came down from heaven. And then in the third week, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. Each of those is probably do their own sermon series, but in, in the three weeks that we have together, my hope and my prayer is that we will be able to see aspects of God that speak to us where we are and speak to us about where we're being led by him, both as individuals, as families, and as a church. So when we think about God the Father, you know, we believe in one God, the Father. And, and we're going to look at what, what does it mean to just say we believe in God? I mean, God is not a creation of, of ours or he's not a discovery of archaeology. God revealed himself. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. So unless he had revealed himself, how would we know who he is? And yet though he that's we it just starts with God's revelation of who he is and him coming to to us in in various ways and with various names he's one god but he does go by various names the genesis account calls him elohim but other places and most frequently in the old testament he is yahweh when he speaks to moses the first time and moses says who shall i say has sent me he says i am who i am but later on, he says to Moses, though your, the patriarchs called me El Shaddai, you will call me, um, you, which means God Almighty, you will call me Yahweh. And so that's the first time that Moses hears the name of God. My name, Yahweh, is what the Lord tells him. Yahweh in Latin is Jehovah. So we perhaps have grown up with different names for God. But he is still the one God. And in the, in the creed, he's portrayed as father. We're going to zero in on, on three aspects of, of God. Uh, one is his position as father. The other is as almighty. And then the third is creator for our time today. So God, who is father, you know, that father is such a powerful image. Certainly in Bible times, to be a father meant to be one who had authority, meant one who had power one who had the responsibility of providing for the family, of protecting the family. If you were part of that uh, father's family, then you, should, you were expecting security and safety, and you had a sense of belonging. You shared in the father's name. That's what father meant. And God is portrayed within the Old Testament at times as a father. He is the father to the widow and orphan, says Psalm 65. And he is the one he says uh, to Israel, out of Egypt, I will call my son. Later on, Matthew uses that as a way to describe the calling of Jesus. But in its original context, it was calling Israel out, calling Israel out as a nation. And God is their father. So that's powerful, powerful imagery. Um, I, I think we, to understand God, just to, just to sit in that for a moment, to be with uh, those that... Um, you know, to call God his father is in some ways to recognize that 
And just describing him that way is to raise for some of us times where our own dads weren't in that place. Maybe we didn't have a dad. Maybe we lost our dad prematurely. And any time that happens, there's deep pain. Uh, my own life, uh, when I was 11, my parents separated for a year. They had some marital challenges and thought it best that they would get some time away. And uh, so we went off to, we were in the city, and then we went off to rural part of the state. Dad was two hours away by car. And I can remember on the weekends when he would come that I would get up early and just wait for him to pull up into the driveway. And I would be afraid that he wouldn't come. I'd be afraid that he would have an accident. I'd be afraid that something would happen, that I wouldn't see him. I think some of us, you know, in our own father experience can have aspects of that. I'm sure I'm talking to some people who have far more protracted and challenging dad relationships or absent relationships in those. But the loss of a father was never God's intention. And he is a father to the fatherless. He does put the lonely into families. He is God, the Father. And so part of our, the way that we experience that, uh, particularly as a, as a follower of Jesus, is that when you come to him, when you come to the Lord, his spirit comes into our lives. And, and as a, uh, Romans tells us, He says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you receive brought brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, this term of endearment, this term of affection. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What's, what's that passage telling us? What's Paul trying to convey? He's trying to convey, he's trying to let us know the family to which we belong, that regardless of whatever our earthly father's circumstance was, we have a father who, while being in heaven, in a sense, is very much real through the power of his spirit. And we who belong to Christ are part of a new family, we, I said earlier that in your earthly father, your identity, who you were, your sense of belonging was based on your parentage. And here, our identity and our sense of belonging is based on our new parentage, on that of our heavenly father. It is a transcendent identity. It is beyond and above all the categories that we have that make distinctions in this world. You know, each of us has been born into a particular background, particular race, particular ethnicity, particular socioeconomic status, uh, certain circumstances of life, some level of health, you know, and it varies from person to person. But that's, those are earthly circumstances. When we're born into, into God's family through Jesus Christ, we're born into a relationship. And, and that relationship, I said it's transcendent. And what I mean by that is that who we are together in Christ is more important and more transcendent than who we were in our earthly circumstance. Now, this reality is something that the church has struggled with since it was a church. Paul is writing to the Romans. He writes to the Ephesians. He writes to the Corinthians a lot about the division, the ethnic divisions, the religious divisions, the socioeconomic divisions that are present in the church. And he's writing to, to 
help them understand what life together is meant to be, that they are a transcendent family. And I think as we navigate these times of grief, of racial, um, you know, discussion at a minimum, but, but let's face it, as a white person, it's hard to really get into the experience and the heart of my black friends and brothers and sisters. By God's grace, we've been able to be a part of a church for some years. We're just over the course of that time to listen to stories and to hear you know, just places of inequity, unjust treatment that I would never have imagined for myself, never experienced, never would have imagined it. But just to hear that was helpful for me. I trust beneficial just to share stories, just to be listened to, and, and both sides was powerful. And I think in this time and right now, this is still a priority. This is still the opportunity to hear what those that have, are closer to the experience of the inequities and the unjustness of what's been going on need to be heard, need to be come alongside of. I think of in a family, perhaps you can think of a time maybe you've lost a, an aunt or an uncle or a great aunt or great uncle, and you go to the memorial and your cousins, for whom that aunt or an uncle is a parent, are typically far more in a place of grief and lament than perhaps you were. You, you're crying and you're lamenting too, but your grief isn't the same as having lost a parent. And so in some ways, I think that's a apt metaphor for where we are. We are should be as a church, we should be as people, to be alongside of our brothers and sisters who are weeping, who are lamenting, who are wanting to perhaps share, and just to be alongside and say, help me, what's going on for you? Help me understand. Those conversations are necessary. They are powerful. They have a healing aspect all by themselves. You know, in the time that we're in, there's also lots of solutions being offered, lots of problems trying to be defined, solutions being offered. You know, the first step in any of this is to hear and to be thoughtful. As scripture says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry, slow to respond. I think that's true in every time, but it's particularly true here. So who is it in our family, our extended family of believers, or even they don't have to be believers, your, your neighbor who's going through hard times, they may not know the Lord, but this is a marvelous opportunity to come along and say, how's it going for you? What's going on? I've just been thinking about you. I've been praying for you, wondering with what's going on in our society, our nation right now, how that's impacting you. That takes a certain courage, but God will give that to us. So our father is a loving father. He gives us an identity and a family membership that is transcendent. And I think any church should be able to model that. And not any church, the church is called to model that. Now, again, it's been hard to actually do that. But here's an opportunity for us as a church to take a disparity of backgrounds and opinions on things and still be in fellowship, still be encouraging one another. That's my prayer for Holy Trinity. That's my prayer for my fellow pastors and churches in this area. So God's our Father. But God is also Almighty. And, you know, He spoke creation into being. As we used to say at our old church, the pastor would say, He says it and it is so. One of the disciples asked Jesus at one point, Who then can be saved? After responding to the rich young man that came up and was told he had to 
sell everything, one thing he lacked. And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, what seems impossible to you and to me right now, in whatever area of life you want to apply this to, is not impossible with God. Sometimes we feel we've been beating our head against a rock for quite a while. We've been staying, you know, we haven't seen the breakthroughs or the answers to prayer that have been most on our heart. It's easy to become discouraged in such times. And once we become discouraged, it's easy to withdraw and to become isolated. But my hope and my prayer is that this time that we're all in together uh, of both fear of disease and pandemic and concern about how to do justice in this time and what that means for us, that that would not discourage us nor let us become isolated. I think of Isaiah, you know, after this amazing encounter with where God shows up when he's, he's uh, taking on the priests of Baal, that, that the king of Israel and his wife Jezebel, Ahab the king and Jezebel the queen, had, had sold themselves to, to Baal big time. And so he says, um, and so the, you know the story, God comes down, destroys the altar of the Baal prophets, the prophets are killed. But then, you know, Jezebel doesn't fall down on her face in repentance. She immediately puts out a contract on Elijah and he flees for his life and he is discouraged and depressed. And he goes and God comes to him and he says, Elijah, where, what are you doing here? Because Elijah's gone. I mean, in one sense, he's led by God to get away. But then, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord gives him some instructions to go back and to anoint particular people. And then he says this to Elijah, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And what is God saying to Elijah in that moment? He's saying, Elijah, you don't know the plan that I have. You don't know the resources that I have set aside. You only know what you can see in front of you. And he's not, in a sense, blaming him, but he's not letting Elijah rest in only what his senses can take in. And I think that's helpful for whatever we are concerned about or going through, that the Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai, is the one just as he is in the salvation history of Israel, and we'll see next week how he brings his one and only son on our behalf. He is no less powerful. He hasn't stopped working. He hasn't gone away. And even if our sins have created some kind of barrier, there is a way through that through confession, which is why we do that each and every day each and every day. Hopefully we do that each and every day. But why we do that as a community together when we meet weekly. God is almighty. Final thing that we see here is that God, he is the creator of heaven and earth. The creator, he out of nothing, he creates the heaven and earth. All that is seen, what we can see in this creation, and what is unseen, the principalities, the powers, the heavenlies, things that we long to see, but but we're not seeing them now, and we look forward to seeing them. You know, even what we can see has indescribable beauty. It has incomprehensible vastness. I'm not an astronomer. I had to look this up. But our own galaxy, the Milky Way, if you tried to 
go you know top to bottom of it, it would be 200,000 light years to travel the length of it. 200,000 light years, speed of light, that's a long time. If you were, then, well, that's just one galaxy. What we can see, what astronomers can see of galaxies is 200 billion to 2 trillion estimated galaxies. And each galaxy literally has billions of stars. I'm like, okay, I'll stop there because my head's already exploded. But that's just a sense of God's creation. That's what we can see. And there's such a, in a sense, sterile aspect to that. There's nothing organic out there that we're aware of. Just, you know, so I think, you know, that's, that's marvelous all by itself. So God is the creator of heaven and earth, things that are seen and, new and unseen. And he is always creating. There are always new things that he is doing. But now he is creating, aside from organic things, so many of the things that he is doing that are new, he is doing through us. And in this time, it's one of the reasons why, just on a small scale, we encourage, you know, we've had that slide and encouragement over the last month or so about what are you doing to bring you joy and encouragement in this time of challenge? And people send in uh, photos of pictures that they're doing and sports that they're playing and music and a whole host of things. This is God's creative activity that we get to do. And I want to say that's not just therapy. It's something that delights the heart of God. It is like a, a little child who gives you their, their crayon drawing or whatever it is. You know, that, that's mom and dad. And you're like, okay, mom and dad, that's good. Or that's a house. It looks pretty much like a house. But you're delighted in it because it's their drawing. And God is delighted in what we offer him out of our mind, our talent. We don't have to be Michelangelo or Yitzhak Perlman, we just need to be who he's called us to be and do some fun and creative things. Let the joy of God flow through us that way. But then the Lord is also creating new things through our hearts, new things through this time. I think one of the prayers of the church is, Lord, in this time of heightened awareness over what is racially unjust and what has been ignored for so long, what is the new thing, the real new thing, the authentic new thing that you're doing? And what part do you want me to play in that? And those are good questions and timely ones and ones that will have an unfolding answer. But let him create new things through each of us. Maybe he's doing a new, what is the new thing he's doing through us as a church? I don't know that. But what are the new things in the, in the area of compassion and mercy and justice? I think part of the witness uh, of the church and part of our witness as individuals is to let our our deeds fulfill our words. When we talk about the gospel, are we also demonstrating it? When we say that Jesus loves you, are we also showing that in, in word and deed as we have opportunity? We do that, though, as we seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Works of mercy and compassion. You know, it's, it's tempting to go off and start something out of a sense of enthusiasm or anger, or bitterness, or some motivation that you just feel so intensely. But those, the problem with that is if, if they're not from God, if they're from a place of self-centeredness and just sort of more reaction than conviction, then they won't go the distance. They won't stay forever. It's easy to, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get down on such things. It's easy to just sort of lose sight. 
Because when you start something that's of the Lord, you will have real enemies coming against it. And only in him can we stay persevering. Only through his strength can we continue to do what he's called us to do. Let let me close with this example. One of my heroes of the faith is John Wesley. You've heard me talk about him before. He's a good Anglican, but he's also the founder of Methodism. But he was one who is a child of the 18th century. I mean, he essentially lived um, from 1703 to 1791, almost in the entire century. And he was an evangelist, an itinerant preacher. And thousands of hundreds of thousands of people came to the faith. And he not only wanted them to experience salvation, he wanted them to be holy in the Lord, to live lives of sanctification. And he spent a lot of time and effort on that. But he was also realizing, and he had a huge love for the poor. He said, you know, prefer to be with the poor than the rich. And out of that heart, and out of seeing things like Matthew 25, came a host of works that were amazing in their day. Uh, He had schools for coal miners' kids. He had dispensaries, you know, sort of primitive form of health care. Uh, in ministering to the poor, and these were abject poor. There was such a divide between rich and poor in that day in England. He would create places of social mercy, if you will, because of his heart and his compassion. Education, medicine, a whole host of other things. He came powerfully against slavery. And six days before he died, he wrote this letter to William Wilberforce, who was a parliamentarian at the time, uh, member of parliament, and went on to push hard to the bill that eventually abolished uh, the slave trade within uh, England and the colonies. And six days before he dies, he writes this to Wilberforce. Unless the divine power has raised you up to be as Athanasius against the world, quote unquote, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing this execrable villainy, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God has raised you up, but if God is for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. That he who has guided you from youth may continue to strengthen you in all this and in all things is the prayer of, dear sir, your affectionate servant, John Wesley. Wesley knew about the enemy that comes against the righteous. Wesley knew the protracted nature of the battle of justice and of mercy and of to do the things that God has called us to do in this time and this place. We dare not attempt anything without the firm leading and the continuous Uh, being before the Lord and doing that together as a community. So I don't know what this means for us as Holy Trinity. I know that this has immediate application for each of our lives and the circumstances that are already a part of them, even before we came to this season of pandemic and this season of, of, uh, you know, recognition of injustice and wanting to do something about it. But just know that, that we belong to God, who is our loving Father, you know, that Corinthians, who, you know, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our loving Father, who is almighty, nothing against us, no weapon formed against us will prosper, who is the creator and is creating new things in us and through us and for us. To his glory be it. 
Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.